telling these people that being a Christian is hard, and yet God's going to be by your side every step of the way. He's telling them, if God is for you, who can be against you? And I'm talking about a sermon that's got you on your toes. I'm talking about one that sends shivers up your spine, and you know the ones I'm talking about. And smack dab, right here in the middle, excuse me, the middle of two full pages of red text is this little itty bitty black part. Right in the middle of preaching this powerful message, he doesn't say, Amen, Jesus. Preach, Jesus. Tell it, Jesus. He says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What? The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Focus our, our eyes and our hearts onto our sermon text this morning. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, reading verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, we come before you to be fed through your holy word. Lord, we know that only those who have clean hands and a pure heart may enter into your holy house. And Lord, you have given us just that, clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness, for your love and grace. May you edify us through your holy word this morning, for your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Every year right after Easter, that week immediately following Easter is a wonderful time for a pastor and his family to shut down for a time. Someone much smarter than I am gave me that advice at one point in life, and, and we've taken it. Every year, right after our outdoor worship on Easter morning, we head home, grab a bite to eat, the car is packed, and we go somewhere. 
to spend time with family, to relax, and to just enjoy the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A couple years ago, we went down to Hilton Head, and i got to be honest with you, Hilton Head is, is, is not quite the place for the Linlofts. We feel very out of place most of the time we're there. But it was enjoyable. It's, it's a place to see because of the beaches and the history, the waterfront and the things to do. I mean, out of place or not, you got to go and see it. And as we are going around town and visiting these different places with our, at the time, two very young children, I realized that Hilton Head was missing something. Not restaurants, there are plenty of those. Not tourist attractions, not real estate. Hilton Head was missing something, and if you've been there, maybe you know what it's missing. Streetlights. Maybe you know the story, maybe you know why that is. I found it very odd driving at night on dark streets without streetlights, without restaurant signs way up in the air to let me know that I can get a McDouble at 11 p.m. if I would like. They weren't there. And so I started to ask, and do you know why there are no streetlights and no signage above about eight feet high? It's because of turtles. I'm serious. Loggerhead sea turtles, famous for laying, or laying their eggs on the beaches, hatching and needing to find safety. Let me tell you why this is important. Every year about the same time, a mother loggerhead sea turtle will swim up to the shore, crawl her way up on the sand, dig a big old hole, and lay up to 120 eggs. 120 eggs. The mother then turns around, heads back out to sea, and leaves the eggs for themselves. A couple months later, those eggs hatch. They come up to the surface, and they need to get to safety quickly. I mean, they're tiny, right? Birds and danger and other animals might eat them. Do you know that God cared about loggerhead sea turtles so much that he gave them a clue to safety? The clue is light. And so they always hatch at night, and they always come up out of the sand, and the moon reflecting off of the ocean is their cue to get to safety. It draws them away from danger to a safe place. And so you can imagine if there were streetlights and stoplights and McDonald's signs that the turtles would come up and they would be torn in which direction to go, and they might just be torn by the wrong light, which could lead them to death. See, this is important, and I think you already know, smart people of peace, where I'm going with this analogy. You know that God loved us more than turtles? He loved us so much that he gave us a light to be drawn to, to pull us to safety, to take us away from danger. And it's not the moon, it's Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the light, God says, that no darkness can overcome. And so when we dig our way up out of the sand of life and we look, there is a resounding light to safety and to hope and to joy away from death. But could you imagine a life where there's a bunch of other lights trying to draw you away from the one who gives you your value, your safety, and your life? You can imagine it because you and I live in it. 
Jesus comes to us today with a word, a powerful word, a word against a sin that we know commonly as greed. And we're going to dive into this section, but what I first want you to know is that greed is just one of those lights. One of those things, because the devil wants nothing more than to pull you away from Christ. The devil wants nothing more than to draw you away from safety, away from from joy and hope, and to put your value in Christ. The devil, through greed, wants to pull you in the opposite direction, into danger and into eternal death. So here in, in Luke chapter 12, it starts out, Um, It starts out this way. There's a man that comes up and he asks, or tells rather, Jesus, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I want you to see before anything how blinded by greed this man was, how consumed by greed this man was, and he didn't even know it. Anyone in here have a red letter Bible? You know what I'm talking about? I brought mine with me this morning. This is my prized possession, by the way, my confirmation Bible. I got redone in Barnwood because, as many of you know, I'm a Barnwood fanatic. You see it in here, and if I open this up, and it depends how good your eyes are, people of peace, but, but I see a whole lot of red here. This is Jesus preaching. And it goes on, by the way, and I could turn the pages for you. Jesus is in the middle of a powerful sermon, and we know he's preaching to thousands. He's telling believers there's going to be persecution. You're going to be looked down on. You're going to be drug away before the authorities. But in those moments, the Spirit will help you. He's telling these people that being a Christian is hard, and yet God's going to be by your side every step of the way. He's telling them if God is for you, Who can be against you? And I'm talking about a sermon that's got you on your toes. I'm talking about one that sends shivers up your spine. And you know the ones I'm talking about. And smack dab, right here in the middle, excuse me, the middle of two full pages of red text, is this little itty-bitty black part. Right in the middle of preaching this powerful message. He doesn't say, amen, Jesus. Preach, Jesus. Tell it, Jesus. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What? I mean, there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's good to ask Jesus for help. But what? You think that it's so important that your inheritance is divided with you. And I don't know if he got there early, by the way. I mean, we're talking thousands. It's easy to get the front row in a Lutheran church. It's not easy to get a front row with Jesus. This guy must have got there early. He must have pushed his way to the front. I don't know how he got there. But this man is standing before the Holy Son of God, and he has the audacity to interrupt his powerful sermon By saying, Jesus, help me get my money. You see, Jesus very clearly in Matthew 6, his Sermon on the Mount, and here says to watch out, to be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because very clearly, greed blinds you. 
He wasn't listening to the sermon. He wasn't thinking about how in persecution God's going to be with him. He wasn't thinking about the grace of Jesus. He was thinking about his money. And it's all he could think about, which is why he interjects Jesus' sermon and says, Jesus, help me knock some sense into my brother or at least a few cents out of his billfold. Jesus, help me. Tell my brother, he commands Christ, the Son of God, to help him. And it's interesting to think about how greed blinds you because I'm just guessing from the very moment this topic was brought up in worship today, your heart went somewhere. Your mind went somewhere. And chances are, like me, it wasn't on yourself. You see, greed is one of those things that we struggle to see in ourselves. Which is why Jesus gives the command, not to somebody else, but to you and to me, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because if I ask you this question, what would you do for more? I'd probably do a whole lot. What would you do for more? And I want to ask you that. Because every time I think of greed, I think about my rich brother or my wealthy aunt and uncle. People who aren't intrinsically greedy, but people who have more than, say, I do. I think of people with two homes. I think of people in Hilton Head living the plush life on the beach. I'm thinking of you retired people. Sometimes I want your life. You see, greed is not having things. Greed is not acknowledging that God blesses you and cares for you and every single one of us blessed here differently. Greed is not wealth or the things that we have. Greed is the attachment to those things and it blinds us to see the light. The true light. Because if we value so much the things of this world, then how can we properly put value on Christ, the eternal Son of God, who won for us everything? So let me ask you again, what would you do for more? You can watch the news and you can see that there are plenty of break-ins, plenty of murders, and plenty of robberies that have earned people plenty of years behind bars simply because they wanted more. But that's not you, per se, and it's not me, so allow me to bring it closer to home. There have been many fathers who have neglected their families because they wanted more. There have been many a husband, many a wives who have worked ungodly hours doing no good to themselves or to their family simply because they craved more and it blinded them. There's always the next project. There's always the next car. There's always the next home. There's always the next amount. You ask Americans, and no matter who it is, everyone wants 20% more. Nothing is ever Enough, And then you get it. You get the car, you get the home, and like a drug, it gives you this high, it wears off, and you need more, and you need more. What would you do for more? That's actually a poll that went out to Americans not long ago, and it, it shocked me, and I'm guessing it's going to shock you. They put a number on it. The question was, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? It's a good chunk of money. Listen to the answers. 
25% of people polled said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. 25% of people polled said they would abandon their church. 23% said they would be willing to become prostitutes for a week. 16% said I would leave my spouse for $10 million. 7% said they would kill a stranger. And 3% said they would put their children up for adoption. No, we're not talking about a light, a temptation of someone else. We're talking about our hearts. Because Jesus doesn't look at your bank account and call you worthy. Jesus Christ doesn't look at your car and say, that's the nicest car. You're going to be with me in heaven. Jesus Christ cares about your heart. And so he warns us, be on your guard. Watch out for all kinds of greed. And here's why. Because they pull you away from the Son of God. And so he told this parable, right? He told this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. To himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? It kind of seems unfair, to be honest with you. In Jesus' parable, there is no hint of an indecent life or an indecent work ethic. He seemed to work hard. In this parable, there's no foul play. He didn't go out and rob somebody. He didn't steal the money. He didn't get it in an illegal way. This man worked hard for what he had, like you and like me. And so it seems unfair when this man is blessed beyond belief, and he's like, hey, I don't have enough storage units for the things that I have. I need to go out and build more. A couple years back, there was a piece of property right near our home, and it got purchased, and it, someone started to build on it, and we were like, sweet, a new restaurant. A new local place to go. Nope, it was more storage units. <laughs> After a new storage unit was just built a mile down the road, could it be that we have so many things that we don't even know where to put them? Could it be that we are wealthier than 99% of the world and we still crave more? Why is that? Because enough is never enough unless it's Jesus. This man, he goes out and he says, I'm going to build these barns. I'm going to store my stuff. And he says something that sounds a whole lot like the American dream. I got plenty for years to come. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. That's the dream, right? That's the plan, you 20-somethings, that in 30, 40 years, guess what? That's what I want in life. I want to be the guy sitting in Hilton Head with my wife sipping a glass of wine watching the waves crash. I want to be that. But God says, you fool. Your life will be demanded from you this very night. And I think the whole point is, is not that he had a lot of things. The whole point was, 
we don't know when God's going to take us home to heaven. If we're going to keep looking for more and more and more right here, then we have to stop and we have to realize that Jesus is the more that we have been looking for. That for your sakes, Jesus became poor so that you, through him, could become rich. And I'm not talking dollars. I'm talking spiritual wealth. Spiritual freedom. An eternal home in heaven. And God says it. He just leaves it out there. Jesus says, you fool. End of parable. Thanks, Jesus. Not a whole lot of gospel in the gospel lesson, Jesus. And yet, do you know what he says to his disciples right after this parable? He looks at the brothers in faith that he loved and said, y'all, don't worry. Do not worry about what you'll eat or what you will wear or what you will drink because God will provide. And I need that message in my life. I need the reminder that God is enough. It's a thing that comes up all the time. What is enough? How much is enough? And God says, forget it. I am enough. And so Jesus once more says, be rich toward God. And guess what you people of peace are? You people of peace come together and you serve God in a powerful way. You people of peace come together and you know whose you are. And so faith-filled offerings pour in. And you are one of the youngest self-supporting churches in our entire synod because you are committed to the gospel ministry. And you are rich toward God. And see, that's the thing that we have in common with the person that Jesus calls a fool. At some point... Your life will be demanded from you. At some point, my life will be demanded from me. What then, God? Where do I go? What will I have? And God says, you're enough. You are enough for me to send my son down to this earth to die. You're enough. You are enough for God to bankrupt heaven to make you spiritually rich in Christ today and forever. You were enough that if you, dear child of God, were the only human standing, he still would have died. He still would have rose. He still would have been victorious because that's how much he loves you. And so we strive and we want more. And God says, do not worry. But what you have or what you wear or what you'll eat, because your bank account is not your worth. Jesus is your worth, and he calls you worthy. You see, whether you realize it or not, you've already pegged yourself at a certain status in society. You got the upper class, the upper 1%. You got this big old middle class, and you got the lower class. Whether you realize it or not, society and yourself peg you at a certain status. Do you know why you are in that status? Because of what you make. You are in the upper class if you make a lot. You're in the middle class if you make, man, you're decent. And you're in the lower class if you're just simply in poverty. This world will constantly tell you to take your status and to make that who you are because of what you have. And God gives you today a different status. 
He says, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. A forgiven child of God. An eternal child of heaven. A redeemed sinner, now called saint in the light of Christ. Who are you? No, your worth is not found in this world. Your worth is not found in what you own. Your worth is found in Christ. And so I pray that we see the light. Because I have to unbury myself from the sand every single day, get out of my own head, and see the true light, the light that no darkness can overcome. The light that gives me purpose. It gives me joy. And you have no idea what it does for me to stand up here before you. You have no idea. You have no idea what it does for someone else when you go up and give them a hug on a Sunday. You have no idea what being rich towards God actually does in the grand scheme of things. But God does. And God cares. And he says, be rich. Pour it out. Love freely. Give without expecting anything in return. Over and above. Love each other. Serve the Lord with gladness. And Paul says, because you've been changed, because the world doesn't get to define you anymore, because you're a child of God, set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts right there. On the cross of Calvary, where he was willing to be the ransom for your sins and mine. You see, I've sat down with so many people over six years that said, Pastor, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to come to communion today. I'm not worthy to be forgiven. I'm not worthy to be God's holy child. I say, I can understand that. But let me tell you something different. God calls you worthy. God calls you forgiven. You don't have to see yourself the way the world sees you. You have to see yourself the way that Jesus sees you. And it's holy and perfect and unblemished, clothed in Christ at your baptism. You are His. And you are worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it has been such a joy, such a privilege, such an honor to show you the light over the last couple months. To one day at a time walk with you towards heaven one day at a time. And when your life and mine is demanded of us, guess where we're going? We're going home to heaven. To see the light with our own eyes. My own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. God bless you as you follow the light. For he is the light that no darkness can overcome. And so let's change the question if we can. Because it's my question, it's not a very good one. What would you do for more? Let's switch it. What would Jesus do to win more souls? He crushed the devil and he would be victorious over death. And guess what? He's done it. It's yours, dear people of Christ. Follow the light. And all God's people said, amen, amen.